Welcome to the Biz Times MKE podcast. My name is Arthur Thomas. I'm an associate editor here at Biz Times Media. Today, I'm joined by Beth Ridley, the CEO of The Brimful Life and our podcast partner. Beth did a great series of podcasts with uh, diversity and inclusion leaders from the Milwaukee area, including Erica Joy Daniels from Advocate Aurora Health, Grady Crosby of Johnson Controls, Chris Rowland of Manhar Group, and Devana Wright-Cottrell from Baird. Beth is here to talk about what she learned from those conversations and maybe give business leaders a few ideas to apply to their own companies. Beth, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, if we could start maybe with, you know, why, why did you want to do this series of podcasts talking to these leaders about uh, diversity and inclusion issues? Well, I consult on workplace culture, and so I'm always working with leaders on how to uh, drive change and shift the culture to be, you know, a, a better place to work and bring out the best in everyone. And diversity and inclusion is always a piece of that. But I found that people are just really intimidated by those words, diversity, inclusion, right? Um, they're afraid to step into something that they feel like they don't have any expertise or afraid of saying the wrong thing and embarrassing themselves or putting their foot in their mouth. So I really just wanted to talk with leaders of companies who have a lot of experience in this space, but really understand from them ultimately, like, what does it take to build a culture of diversity and inclusion and kind of like demystify and simplify what diversity inclusion is all about and make it less scary so people don't spend a lot of time worrying about it but actually just sort of lean in and, and start doing it and we started this podcast series um, well before um, you know the current circumstances around the topic of racial injustice being so front and center so it it, this topic is even more timely, but I would say it's always a good time to be thinking about building a more diverse and inclusive culture at work. Certainly. So what stood out to you? What are some of the broad takeaways you had from these conversations? Um, so there are two. And one is um, all the, the experts that I interviewed, they all said very consistently, if you can only do one thing, leadership commitment to building a diverse and inclusive culture and leading by example is the most important thing. It all starts from there. Diversity and inclusion is not about initiatives. It is not about um, you know, big strategies. Those things can certainly help, but without leadership commitment and leaders being able to lead by example with inclusive behaviors, it really doesn't go anywhere. And so the good news with that is it doesn't take a lot of money or a lot of resources to drive diversity inclusion. It just takes um, some intention and you know, some authenticity around it. Um, so there's, there's the good news there. And it almost doesn't matter. You know, that advice is the same no matter how big the company is or how small the company is. So that was learning number one. And it's a best practice that I've always held, a belief that I've always held. So it was great to see these um, diversity inclusion experts really um, affirming that in their own experience. Um, and the second learning um, was that everyone really defines diversity very broadly. Um, and I think, again, when people hear diversity inclusion, they immediately think, oh, it's about gender, it's about race or ethnicity. And it is about that, but it is about all dimensions of diversity because every human is diverse. And broadening that, you just broaden the amount of engagement and support around driving diversity and inclusion. So I was really excited to hear that those themes 
really came alive and were very true for these very large companies and they hold true for small companies as well. Certainly. It was interesting to hear uh, Chris from Manpower talk about, I mean, they're a global company, so diversity looks very different for them around the world. Um, and so each, you know, yeah, they have overarching goals, but then they have, you know, more localized goals where each country kind of defines what's important from a diversity perspective uh, for them. Yeah. Um, you uh, so you've, you mentioned con you consult on some of these issues, you work with companies and kind of the diversity and inclusion doesn't have to be scary. Um, it seems like there's kind of this opportunity uh, for companies. There are opportunities for early wins or, or relatively easier things to do, but then it also takes meaningful change, takes time, takes commitment. Um, I guess what's the level of difficulty um, to create change on diversity and inclusion issues? Yeah, well, I think the level of difficulty for driving diversity inclusion is probably the same for driving any type of value or behaviors in the organization. And it's not so much that it's a big heavy lift. Again, it doesn't require expensive strategies, a lot of money. It requires um, leadership commitment because all cultures really start from the top and the tone that leaders set and the behaviors that they model. But those are all things that everyone can do in small ways that have big impact, sort of integrating those behaviors into day-to-day -day leadership. And by doing that, you know, you ultimately will shift the culture if you do it consistently, right? And I really look at what are small ways um, that really make up the whole employee experience which is just our day-to-day -day interactions when we're at work. And most of those are meetings. So I really try to get leaders to think about, and actually all employees, what are small ways that you can approach the things that you're doing anyway, a little bit differently. So from diversity and inclusion, it's like, you know, in meetings, are you making sure that you're paying attention to listen as much as you're talking to encourage, you know, um, more diverse thought to emerge? Are you leaning into conversations seeking to understand versus to agree? And so those small things, if you just do them consistently, really, really, really will change the, the culture. And that's why I like diversity inclusion, just like any other um, uh, value or behaviors in organizations. For small companies, you can do it too. You don't need a big budget. You don't need a big program. Um, they are, there are small things that you can do through day-to-day -day interactions that will drive the culture if done consistently. I think that's, that's the key there, the consistent part. Yeah, yes. Uh, I noticed in each of the interviews, you, you kind of started off by asking the leaders, how do they define diversity? And it seemed like it's, you know, it was a important to do that to kind of set the table for your conversation, but also important that they had a definition of diversity for their company. Why is that so important um, to this process? You know, I was actually curious with what the answer was going to be because again, in this current environment, racial inequality, ethnic diversity is just really front and center. So I was curious in terms of how much diversity is defined around any one particular dimension of diversity. But again, very consistently, everyone said it's difference. Diversity for us, the definition is difference plug in, insert any difference, and that's what we're trying to do, create environments where everyone can bring their uniqueness to work and feel comfortable being at work, bring their best to work 
so that they're being their best at work. And so um, I really appreciated that. And again, by broadening the definition, you broaden the number of people who can, you know, truly embrace and engage these principles, but also benefit from them. Um, and I also think it takes a little bit of that scariness away because, you know, I like to say, if you just is so uncomfortable to talk about race as uh, diversity, then don't start maybe by talking about the difference in leadership skills or change style preferences or interpersonal skills, something a little bit like, you know, less, um, you know, like less consequential. Because if you can build that muscle around how to bridge differences across, you know, um, change style preferences, it's the same muscle to bridge differences across race and ethnicity and gender and, um, you know, again, insert any dimension of diversity. So my whole thing is start, start, start. <laughs> DNA is a journey. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to be willing to learn, try, make mistakes as we all do when we're learning, but that's how you grow. Mm -hmm. um, Erica Joy Daniels, you know, talked about uh, kind of the start from personal learning and, and leaders needing to get comfortable being in uncomfortable conversations. And, and I think the point you just made about, you know, maybe it, it is starting with talking about different leadership styles or talking about different communication styles, different, you know, started a different difference um, than the ones we think about with diversity and you can go from there. Um, but what is, you know, for business leaders, how can they start maybe moving towards that place of just comfort with the uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, I would say um, one of the first things that you can do, certainly like training and education plays a role, but even more fundamental than that, um, just look inward at your own personal social circles. So I believe who you choose to spend time with or who you don't spend time with does give some indication of where you may have some implicit biases, right? So if there are dimensions of diversity that you simply don't see reflected in who you spend time with outside of work, I would examine that and I would look beyond sort of obvious or superficial diversity and get to things like, um, you know, educational background, economic status, you know, all those things, political views, right? And use that as a cue to say, you know, this is where I could benefit from broadening my experience around, you know, I really, it's like broadening your data points around the human experience. And, you know, diversity inclusion is just like having a growth mindset. You just want to replace some of those biases or stereotypes that you may have with more empathy and understanding. And you do that by just, again, broadening your data points of the human experience by spending time with humans <laughs> and talking with humans. I mean, it's really that simple and that's really where you start. And that's why when people say it's a journey because you're not gonna accomplish all that in one day, but truly with each conversation, you broaden your mindset and you just have a more appreciation for um, different perspectives and how different people view and experience the world. And by increasing your appreciation for the human experience, you gain more empathy, you gain more insight, you um, are more informed, quite frankly, you're more interesting, and all that makes for a better employee, a better leader. Um, so I think there's so much work that we can do just in our own personal lives to make this more like a mindset journey um then you know any like specific kind of training i'm not saying don't do training but i'm saying continue that work 
just sort of like as a, as a value, the way that you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of on the personal uh, growth and, and kind of also on the comfort level, Grady Crosby shared this really interesting story around um, he'd grown a beard over a, a holiday break of, or something. And, and, you know, he was going to shave it off before coming back. And his wife said, what are you doing? I, I, I like that. Why are you going to get rid of it? And he had to stop and pause and, and think about, you know, whether he was comfortable going into work um, with a beard. And, you know, he's the guy in charge of, of making sure people are comfortable going into JCI the way they are. Um, I just thought that was a really interesting kind of anecdote insight of, of how this isn't maybe, you know, um, the, the big elements of diversity that everyone would assign to it, but it's, it can be all the way down to whether or not you have a beard or not. Uh, what did you take away from that, that anecdote? Yeah, I, I love that story. I just thought it was a great example of, just like you said, diversity comes in all forms. Um, and so certainly if you can build the muscle to be able to have a conversation around differences in facial hair, you can use that same muscle to have a conversation around you know, racial differences. Um, but I think it also to me highlighted that no, all of us have some dimension about us that we feel insecure about, unsure. We don't want to reveal unless we really trust someone. It somehow makes us feel like an outsider. Um, and so really that's what leading with a diverse and inclusive mindset is. It's just tapping into that dimension of diversity that you don't feel is truly accepted or embraced um, and that you can recall how that feels, and that's empathy, and that you can um, put yourself in those shoes and really realize at the end of the day, it's about treating others the way that you would want to be treated. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of times white men will say, I don't have the experience or the competency to lead in this space, which then by default, it means typically women and people of color, the, the burden of driving diversity inclusion falls on us. And where everyone needs to be involved in diversity inclusion because everyone benefits and everyone has the experience of where they have felt not included because of some dimension of diversity that sets them apart. Um, so I think even though those examples with the beard you know, seem small, it is a way to tap into feeling like you can talk and lead and be in this DNI space with confidence, even if you don't have a dimension of diversity that people would automatically look at and say, oh, sure, of course you can talk about that. You know, you're authorized, but if you're a white man, you have no business. That's, that's just simply not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other comments he had was around, I mean, you can hire your way to diversity. You can hit numbers um, if you put your mind to it, but that doesn't necessarily create, you know, an inclusive culture um, that will be sustainable. Um, and you combine that with, I mean, these things kind of evolve on on different timelines than maybe, you know, typical business results. It doesn't get measured in quarters. Um, they really seem to kind of, you know, spell out that it requires commitment. We go back to the leadership commitment that we started talking about, um, that it takes time to, to do this and it takes commitment to, to have sustainable change. 
Yeah, so yep, commitment, consistency really are key. And I would say not just to diversity and inclusion, but any aspect of culture that you really want to ingrain. So it takes time and commitment to ingrain a culture of innovation or more transparent communication or more collaboration. One training, one initiative isn't gonna do it. It really comes down to, again, the little things that you can do on a daily basis um, that become almost second nature and ingrained. So in that regard, you know, I think diversity inclusion is not that different than any other culture shift um, or culture transformation work. And I really believe I'd rather have people do small things consistently than one big thing. Um, I mean, it's like, you know, like going to the gym, right? If you want to build muscles, you're better off going you know, five days a week and lifting consistently than lifting like all the weights once a year. <laughs> it's the same. Yep. I need to, I need to get back on that whole uh, five days a week thing um, right. after yes, Trump quarantine too. here. Me too. Um, what did you think uh, of how Chris Rowland talked about, you know, how he responds when people say, oh, we just want to hire the best. Um, and he had kind of this, you know, it's an and thing, not an or thing. Yes, yeah, so I loved how he answered the question because he really cut to the heart of the matter, which is, you know, a lot of people say, you know, hey, we just want to hire the best talent, not diverse talent. Well, then it's, it's almost kind of like, um, what's the word for it? Um, you know, just like kind of believing that diverse talent somehow cannot be the best talent. And that's actually a, an example of, um, uh, it's called attribution bias. So it's then, attribution bias is when we're assessing ourselves, we tend to think our achievements are a direct result of our merit and personality. But when it comes to assessing other people, we often think the opposite's true. We're more likely to consider the achievements of others to be a result of luck or chance. So, you know, it's almost like a sense of entitlement, like, um, you know, someone else that has a different experience or looks different than me can't be as qualified as me. Um, and so that really is sort of at the root of the matter. And I thought Chris, you know, really hit it head on. And, you know, evidence and research shows if you cast, certainly no one's saying just hire diverse talent, regardless of experience or skill level. But if you cast a wide net, you're gonna get, um, a broader breadth of what that skill level looks like in terms of also diversity. Um, and so you're going to increase the quality of the candidate pool overall. So I think that's really the, the goal of, of uh, what Chris was talking about there. But it's, um, you know, it is a uh, bias that I think a lot of people have when they hear about we are looking for diverse talent. It, that is not exclusion of the best talent. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting how he said, you know, to have those conversations early on in the process to, because when you put it as, well, we want to cast the widest net um, to grab whatever the best talent might be. Well, then the logic kind of just opens up. You're like, okay, yeah, of course I want the widest net to potentially, you know, bring in. Whereas if it's at the last minute and someone's saying hire diverse talent, then, you know, someone's going to get defensive and, and, and say, well, I just want the best. And you end up with maybe a not productive conversation. Right. 
Um, yeah, and also we have to broaden our view of what does it mean to be the best? Because a lot of times, you know, we kind of mistake um, comfort with competence. If we're hiring and reviewing someone as an applicant who has a similar experience or profile as me, I assume because it's similar to me that they must be awesome. Um, but you're also realizing that there could be really great skills and talents that um, are wrapped in uh, someone who has a very different experience or looks very different that is actually needed on the team. Again, there's evidence that shows more diversity in terms of thought and perspective on teams leads to better decision making. You know, sometimes you really need to look at what are those dimensions of diversity that we don't have so that we do make the best decisions on the team. Certainly. Um, Devon Cottrell had this um, great um, kind of idea around with employee resource, resource groups and maybe the opportunity for someone who doesn't have an immediate opportunity to grow vertically within an organization, but you can help them kind of grow horizontally, grow leadership skills by empowering them to take on, you know, a leadership role in an employee resource group or different things like that. That seemed like something, you know, maybe more companies could learn from um, as almost a retention tool of, of holding on to your up and coming talent. Yeah, definitely. A development tool, a retention tool. So it just gives employees another outlet to learn and grow, to you know, exercise new skills, also be exposed to um, colleagues that they may not otherwise work with, spend some time with leadership. A lot of times it may involve going to conferences and you know, learning that way. Um, and it's, you know, it, it is fun to sort of expand beyond just what your day job requires. So it is a wonderful development tool, a wonderful retention tool. Also, it's good for business because again, really a, a key objective of employee resource groups, it's more than just networking and happy hours and events. You are really tapping into your diversity of thought and experience of the employee population to help inform business decisions. Um, it's a it's an important vehicle for that. So it's like a win 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 all the way around. Excellent. I thought it was interesting how she talked about just changing their uh, group name from the African American Employee Resource Group to Prism. Just made it, you know, almost inherently more inclusive, kind of to reflect what they wanted it to be, but. And it was just interesting how, I mean, it's something small, um, kind of like the Grady, Grady's Beard example, but some you know, small things can make a big difference in how an organization does on these things. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was a really great example. So it's almost like using diversity and inclusion, but in applying the inclusive mindset to that. And you know what? They didn't come out the gate with PRISM. They did come out the gate with a, a African-American associate group, and then they learned, right? It didn't have such high membership, didn't have diverse membership, so they learned. So that's just all an example of you, you took a step forward, you, you listened, you got feedback, you learned, you modified, and you made it better. But, you know, kind of like what we were saying at the top of the conversation, broadening that definition of diversity simply means you're going to have more people engaged and more people benefiting. Certainly. Uh, so one of the things that all four of these leaders had in common, they all work for, you know, larger firms, some of the bigger firms in, in Milwaukee. How do these DNI efforts change as we move down towards some of the more small and medium-sized companies who probably don't have established programs, maybe feel like we don't have the resources to do that? Um, how do these things change as we move down towards smaller companies? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I think the fundamentals really don't change at all. And all of the four individuals I interviewed really said the same thing in their own way. Diversity inclusion is not a program. You don't need a title or a budget to drive a culture of inclusion. It is a mindset, begins with leadership, and there are ways that you can develop and demonstrate that mindset without any money, without any big fancy strategies or anything like that. So that really is at the core. And I think if you peel back to the beginnings of where each of these large companies started on their own DNI journey, it started with mindset. And I can guarantee you they're still investing in that and cultivating in that. So even though they have a lot of programs, they might have teams and big budgets sort of plussing up the core work, it still comes down to mindset and really believing in the fundamental principles of diversity and inclusion and figuring out how you can model those in your day-to-day -day leadership. Excellent. Um, I think that, that covers the questions I had for you, Beth. Is there anything else you'd want to add before we go? Um, no, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to um, bring this information to have this conversation. Like I said, the goal, it, it is so important always. It is really front and center now, but to be able to demystify and simplify it so that everyone can um, enter into this space with a degree of confidence, I think that's really going to sort of change the narrative, not just in the workplaces, um, but in society overall. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. I think it's good to have just more uh, that have the conversations start somewhere, you know, be willing, like you said, to make, to make some mistakes to, you know, don't worry about saying the perfect thing um, to learn, grow, uh, that kind of thing as you go. So thanks for taking the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you.